people through their music. Out of the Box with Joey Watson on FBI 94.5. Hello, FBI radio listener. Joey Watson here. Out of the Box is the name of this show. Every Thursday, we spend an hour rolling through the records and recollections of one guest. Today, uh, Ricky Simonjuntak. Ricky is the manager of a globally famous drill group, One Four. You've probably heard of them. Despite pressure from the New South Wales cops and at least one violent incident that has landed them in trouble, they have become an international sensation with their very real, very Western Sydney style of storytelling. Ricky has been a feature in the recent renaissance of Western Sydney's creative scene. His label and lifestyle brand is Sydney Romantics, and his story and identity is very much built around the area. There's heaps to unpack. Ricky... What's up? Welcome What's going to on, Joey? Of the box. What up, FBI? How you doing? Good to be here. <laughs> You're back in the scene. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I used to work here. Um, it's been a, a year now. I think a year and a half since I left. But always good to come back. It's been a huge year at that. Yep. I want to start at the beginning, as we often do. Uh, where did you live at the beginning of your life, Ricky? Uh, born in Camperdown, at the uh, Children's Hospital there. Um, and grew up in Marrickville mm-hmm. um, along Livingston Road as a kid. And then we moved to um, to Canterbury when I was eight years old and I've been there ever since. What did your family look like when you were born? Just me and my mom and my dad. It was, um, I had a half-sister, but she was in Indonesia. Um, so it was like only child pretty much um, growing up. What was life like in Canterbury? What do you remember of it? Um, very working class. It was, it was very working class and, um, it was very diverse in terms of the mixture of nationalities and people there. There was a lot of people who had just moved to Australia. Um, I went to Canterbury Boys, um, as a kid, like in high school, uh, Earlwood Public and primary school. And so I grew up, I grew up around a lot, like a lot of Lebanese kids, Greeks, uh, Italians, and then later on, saw like a lot of Filipinos move into the area. Um, yeah, I was always like, my parents were really active at church as well. So like um, it, at, that, at that time, I was an Indonesian church that we were active in. Um, so yeah, it was kind of just a, a mixture of different cultures, I think. Yeah, did church mean something to you at that time? Yeah, I mean, that, that was a church. Church for us was like, wasn't just a religious thing. It was because it was an Indonesian congregation, uh, a lot of like Indonesians who had moved, like diaspora, that was our social gathering. Um, so it was how we stayed in touch with our culture, um, how our parents got to sort of reminisce and, you know, like stay in touch with, you know, people like didn't have family. So um, that was our family, our, our extended family. So were you able to identify strongly with your Indonesian roots when you were young? Was that encouraged of you? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was like my parents spoke uh, Bahasa to me at home. Um, I was always encouraged to like engage in cultural like dance and events. Like, you know, my mom always cooked Indonesian food at home. Um, Even like my parents, you know, like went as far to tell me like the history of our, my name and like the village that we came from, the royal lineage that we're from and, and stuff like that. So, Can you tell me a bit of that? What is the history of your name? The, my, my family name, Simon Juntak, it comes from Sumatra. Um, the people are called Batak people. Very, very proud people. Um, they almost look Pacific Islander themselves. Um, supposedly they, ca- they came down from Cambodia 
um, and Thailand, uh, as well as people crossing through Africa at the time. Um, funny story, I was like, so there's, there's, my family name goes through generations. I think I'm, my, myself, I'm like the 14th generation. My father's the 13th. And somewhere in, at the start of it, there was like three brothers. And these three brothers, when their parents died, the parents left them um, a buffalo. And the buffalo, they didn't know how to split this buffalo. Like they were like, oh, how do we, how do we figure out how to divide this buffalo? So the story goes that the, the, the two oldest, the oldest brother said, I'm going to take the head because it's the most expensive part that I can sell at the market. And the two younger brothers got left with the, um, the back half. And the back half was, well, the, the buffalo was actually female. And so it gave birth. So the story goes, um, the older brother became wealthy off the bat. The two younger brothers and, and the families um, thereafter didn't start off with money, but were able to sell and to farm. Um, and I think the story goes that the, the two families are not allowed to talk. Like, so if, if I meet someone with my surname, traditionally, I have to ask, what number are you? Like, what generation are you from? Wow. And if they answer me a particular generation and a name, I know they're from my line and I can talk to them. Let's uh, go to our, our first track now, Ricky. What, what do you want to play off the top here? Um, I think the first song, like the first artist that I really got um, like amazed by was like, it was Michael Jackson, like as a kid, you know, like um, I think the first song I ever heard from him was Bad. And I was like, who is this guy? Like, what? what is this? Like, this badass like this guy's just crazy i didn't know anything about music and i just remember like as i got older i started to look through his back catalog and when he was with jackson five and stuff i was like man this kid could sing so like so eloquently and like so convincingly like for a 12 year old to sing like a love song like he had been in love been broken hearted been been through it all i was like this kid is like he has this 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 feeling for like the human experience. Um, and I remember hearing the song Darling Dear and listening to the bass line of it. And like the, the thing that always attracted me was um, was bass line and drums ever since a kid. And I heard this song and I was like, man, bass line, the way he's singing, what he's singing about. Like, yeah, so the first song, yeah, Michael Jackson, oh, Jackson 5, Darling Dear.
Michael Jackson, very early Michael Jackson, Jackson 5, in fact, and uh, Darling Dear. On podcast and on your radio, I am with uh, Ricky Simonjuntok for Out of the Boxed, Western Sydney le- legend now and manager of the very famous rap group, One Four. Ricky, where were you in life when you started to discover creativity and, and culture more seriously? I landed a job as a flight attendant for um, Emirates Airlines. And it was at a point in my life, I was 25 years old, and I was like really disillusioned with living in Sydney. I was like, what the hell am I doing here? Like, I think I, I was unemployed for a year. I just did not want to like go and pursue like a nine to five. It was just the thought of it was, you know, like soul destroying to me. And um, yeah, I applied for this job and I got in. And so I moved to Dubai. That experience really opened my eyes to like culture and what culture, I started to become really interested in what culture is and how it, how it shapes our behavior. And so I started to see it as like, I remember reading it in a, maybe in a, a book as like culture is the sets of values that defines how we interact with each other. And so I looked at my culture and like, even like being Indonesian, within Indonesia, there's I think 350 different ethnic cultures within that, you know, archipelago. And so where my mom's from, they behave very differently to my dad. Um, and I started to see, oh, okay, cool. Like, I get this behavior from that culture and that that sort of frame of thinking. And then, as I started to see that, um, I think I started to understand then again how hip hop culture shaped me as a kid. Like, so as a as an Indonesian kid growing up in Sydney with no relatives here, or very few relatives very few Indonesians in my school and where I, where I encountered, I was sort of like, am I Indonesian or am I Australian? I wasn't ever really sure. And even when I was flying, people would ask me, where are you from? I'm like, Australia. I'm like, no, no, no. Where are you really from? You're not Australian. Like, yeah, I'm Australian, but my, my parents from Indonesia. And I started to question myself, like, what, where am I from? And so, yeah, I think the, the catalyst was, figuring out how culture shaped how I saw the world, my, my sort of my worldview, and then my personal identity. I started to really search for who I was. And I think when I, when I look back at it, I, I was really lost. Like I'd had no idea. And like, I think moving to Dubai even confused me even more. I was like, damn, like I'm sort of this nomad just drifting around. Maybe we can play a tune now. What, what, what do we want to put on for that? I think, there's a song called Clock With No Hands by The Roots. Um, I think when I discovered The Roots, I was really into like gangster rap at that time and I just someone played The Roots to me and I was like, oh, this is kind of different. They're playing like with a live band and um, the the rapper, he was like talking about some like some different stuff and then I started to really look into what he was saying and I was like, damn, like this guy is, he sounds hard but he's spitting some like, some really intelligent um lyrics and there was a um there was a lyric that he that he wrote saying um because i'm doing better now don't mean and i never lost shit i was married to a state of mind and i divorced it and it made me really think i was like what what's this state of mind that i was born with and raised with 
and how has being away from my friends, family, and the culture I grew up in, how looking back at it, are those things really me? Like, are those things really like defining me, or am I free to change my mind and and discover other things as I travel the world and meet different people and come into contact with new ways of thinking? And yeah, I think that song I remember playing on the, like the bus to the plane like so many times yeah sitting in the staircase holding back tears looking over mad years worth of photographs pictures of some places i ain't never going back some people i used to love why i ain't showing that the skies was overcast when i was sober last my head is spinning couldn't tell you if the slower fast it started to get too clear i got to go and grab to y'all it's a shame but life is what we know it as waiting navigating the plot without plans in the cars hard to read as a clock with no hands how your man's gonna get up and stop with no games all it takes is one break it could pop the program whether sending or not my back bending like i'm Sentence a lot. I feel some brothers is beginning to plot. It might have been a close friend and forgot who started up and ain't remember to stop. I bet these niggas gon' remember the shot. Like Malcolm out the window with the weapon out Searching for somehow to find a minute or the second now Precious time is money that I ain't got to mess about Need it from the horse's mouth or from my eyewitness account Blessings with my back to the wall, scoping my session out Stay a little edgy at times, but I ain't stressing about Haters don't know shit about me, they the ones that talk shit Those who love me said it out, so I ain't got the force quit Cause I'm doing better now, don't mean I never lost shit I was married to a state of mind and I divorced it, man I'm from where brothers moving product from the porches people locking their doors clutching to they crosses the block hop with the law and ain't too many choices so what i do is for y'all because ain't too many voices left i watch my back and watch my step and i might forgive but i do not forget come on Living in turbulent times, the blind leading the blind. So call it evolution, some say intelligent design. You say you want a revolution, you out of your mizan. Your son's destitute and they pops all in the prison. My man's back in the jam, he like the back of my hand. He just attracted the scam, he right back in the can. I never sleep off when you dare, you get your shut out. I'm on the first thing in, I'm leaving on the red eye. My brother back in rehab, just had another relapse. But finish up, it's like he been fighting the energy had. Telling me ain't nobody true when they pretend to be that so close to the friends that's where i keep my enemy at to any parties concerned it's time to live and to learn until we able to grow forever bridges will burn my thoughts free as a bird that's just about to emerge and every action is heard it speak louder than words yo
that there was uh, The Roots, some classic for you there. Uh, Ricky Simonjuntak is my guest on Out of the Box, along with a heap of other credit pursuits. Rick is the manager of FBI Smack Award-winning outfit, one for Rick, um, in the past few ye- years, the world has started paying attention to Western Sydney in a new way. What was behind that? I remember growing up, being in high school, and there was these there was these kids I hung out with all the time, and like I was too small to play footy with them. Like they were Islander boys, and they would smash me like I was a skinny, scrawny kid. But like, um, I was always, I was always drawn to their musicality. Like there was Eric Barovalala, Leslie Taggy, his brother Rodney, Jason Vitu. Like they could sing, man. Like they could sing like like nothing else. I was like, man, like why aren't these kids famous? Like when I used to listen to the radio, I was like, man, these kids could sing out sing anyone. You know what I mean? Like I used to really think like these kids deserve to be famous. And I remember like watching, I remember one day watching like Australian Idol when it first started, like that first year with Guy Sebastian and all those guys, Paulini and whoever else was on there. And I was like, man, like someone from Western Sydney has to win this thing. Like has to win this thing, you know, like and and hip hop and R&B culture was really starting to emerge at that time. Um, And yeah, I just remember thinking like it, the talent i remember just being surrounded by talent but just never understanding why it wasn't represented in our mainstream culture like why why we never saw someone and so i always knew that there was this culture in western sydney that people really hadn't learned how to appreciate like it was considered like this oh it's just like oh thugs or like they were just like troublemakers out there or like you know like it was very easy to stereotype you know at that time from outside you mean from outside yeah Mm. but even from like from inside we didn't really like look at our culture and go oh man like this is this is really cool it was just it wasn't something that we would market so do you think that the change had to come from within in terms of self-recognition before kind of everything that's now starting to happen hundred percent able to a hundred percent how did that happen when I came back from overseas I started working with Sampa the great very early like we we um we met at a studio and and um da 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 like we started to help each other out and I was trying to just I didn't know what I was doing to be honest but I, it was like this has to be heard and from working with Sampa I met Bwise. And B-Wise introduced me to Ziggy, to Manu, to Blessed, to Ampha, to I Am Solo, to Willstar, to Manny, who were working out of this studio called Dream Big. I was like, holy crap, these are all from Western Sydney. Like, And the, the quality of music was phenomenal. Like, all those acts working out of this one studio. One studio. It was like a trap house. Like, It was this one place in Alexandria. It was like, like a, they they put up these walls illegally and stuff and made this like makeshift studio and it was all this talent in one room and then you throw in Leroy in there like you throw Leroy in as like a 13 year old kid and you've got this superstar team of people just getting better each day I was like holy crap like this this needs to be seen and like I remember um, 
yeah, me and Ziggy just went on this like this terror of like we have to we ha this has to get seen and heard. So we just started going out trying to use our networks. Um, man, I just I remember like shout out to my boy James Rubin, who used to work here with Howe back in the day and Shantan and all those guys. Like, um, he was a booking agent based overseas, and he would send he would send like his artists like out here. I mean, Joey Badass, like he booked Drake out here, Solange, and like, we would do anything. Like we were running like weed to these guys, like anything just to meet the managers and to just to get in, you know, and to to drop them uh, some music from, from Western Sydney. And that was spinning out. They were like, oh, what, this exists here? Wait, hang on, slow down on that. You were running weed to these guys to drop To drop mixtapes mix tapes and like, and beat tapes. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, so like that's an amazing hustle. So yeah, we'd get a call, say like da da da's in town, like this manager, like they want to looking for weed or place to party. I'm like, cool, hook it up, like let's go, like that's that that's our in, you know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> and our also hustle. check this, check out this record. Yeah, hundred percent. Like again, this goes back to my hospitality, like hospitality and traveling. It's like you've come from a long far away, like you've come from far away to a foreign country where you don't know anyone. All right, cool, I'm gonna take care of you. We're from the same culture, hip hop. We might be a different skin color, different religion, totally different upbringing, but we come from one culture. It's hip hop. I would take care of you because you're in my place. So when I come over there, you're going to take care of me. That was the unwritten rule. You know what I mean? So like... So what was the reciprocation? So the, the, these American bookers and acts would check out this stuff, I mean, assume love it, and then, and then were they part of the push or there was how no did you capitalize? There was no obligation. It's the, just having the relationship. It's like oh, okay, cool. Like they've seen us. They see our hustle. They see what we're doing. Some of the time they'll be like, oh, not interested, like not, not into it, whatever. But they come back the next year and we'll still be doing it. Like, oh, they're still here. You know, they're still here. They're still, and like a lot of our great relationships, like Dave Ali, who manages um, Kehlani, um, it, it was built in that, in that way. Just, they just saw us out here trying to build something. And, and I guess now it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's come full circle. Like, I remember me and Ziggs, we started a thing called The Area together, now that he takes care of. And that was the thing that was like, let's find those Australian Australian artists, ones that we know, Western Sydney, like we know best, but let's also develop the audience so that the audience would be able to receive them. Tracks was the one for me. I think Tracks... When we started tracks, I got to get really like I, I, it forced me to really delve into the, the grassroots. And, and FBI was part of tracks. This is the series of like Western Sydney workshops for up and coming musicians to learn a bit about the industry. Yeah, we, we came up with this idea, tracks, and it was just to be able to give kids in Western Sydney a, a, a look into the industry. Like that it's not this intimidating thing that's like with this impenetrable wall that can't be accessed. It's like there are actually people from Western Sydney who, or people from a similar culture to yours that actually work in there. And we tracked those people down and we went into schools and went to speak to different community centers like um, Street Uni and whatnot um, and got about 150 kids to just come down and consider a career in music. That's a good moment to break out. Let's go to our third song. Yep. Ricky, what do you want to play? Um, I think now is a good time to play. Um, 
ambitions as a writer by Tupac. Like, Tupac is everyone know. I guess if you're into rap, you know the word Tupac. But Tupac was an interesting guy. Like, he um came from a you know intellectual background. His parents were activists. Um, he started this thing called Thug Life, and it was like empowerment for for streetheads. Um, and he had a very powerful message and it was very confronting. He, like, he was very honest in the way he felt. And a lot of times he offended people. People didn't understand exactly what he was trying to say. He was very flawed, but he was very upfront about his flaws. And um, his songs became anthems for us in the West. Um, he has a great catalog of music which expressed so many different types of emotions. Um, but if you look at Tupac from start to end, start to end as as short as it was he died it was like 24 25 a very short career but the impact that he had in that very short time and the amount of the, the amount that he grew in that time was crazy and i think it's very easy to look at artists and say oh man like you rap about this you rap about that you know you're encouraging this and that but that artist had needs to have time to grow um and park is someone that you can look at and say oh he's a legend but you know, he went through that journey. So like, the song is called Ambitions as a Rider. Um, just a, an anthem for us. I won't deny it. I'm a straight rider. You don't want to fuck with me. Got the police busting at me. But they can't do nothing to us. Kill. So open fire so you kill me, witness my 
uh, classic hip hop, almost needs no introduction. It was Tupac, Western Sydney creative uh, Ricky Simon Juntak is our guest on this show and podcast. It is out of the box. This is FBI Radio ninety four point five. Ricky, take me to the beginnings of one four before you get in before you got involved. Mm. What are the origins of this group? They're 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 childhood friends. Like they're they all come they're all mostly from Pacific Islander backgrounds. I mean like the group all the group are uh, part of the music group are Pacific Islanders, Samoan. Um grew up in the Mormon church. Um and um the way I would describe them when I'm with them amongst them is that they're like they're all brothers. They're like even if they're not related, you they're like cousins, you know what I mean? So to put it like to, to, to create some context here, like there's a lot of troubled kids out there who come from different types of families for whatever, you know, like whatever reasons. And some of these kids get lost. And when you're young growing up in those kind of, that kind of environment, there's a, always a bunch of older kids who prey on you, right? These kids figured out that they needed to stick together and take care of each other. Um, and so when I see it, I see it as like this like brotherly love. Like when they, when they greet each other, when they say bye, it's like, love you, Uso. And it's like, you have to say, I love you back. Like there's a, there's a genuine like connection, like love you, Uso. It's not just like, oh, love you, bro. It's like, yo, like love you, Uso. Like I'm, I want to see you again. Like, take care of yourself. You know what I mean? And that's, it's a community which is very family based um and it's very connected it's very connected where were they where were they when you found them uh when i first when i first um met them properly it was end of 2000 oh end of 2017 around november came to street uni and they were waiting for me there i was running like late like they waited like an extra hour for me and like when I turned up I think they were about to leave Street Uni is a, a it's a, like a youth center youth center in, in Mount Jewett, right? yeah, Ted, yeah. it's like uh, founded by Ted Knopf's the Ted Knopf Society a lot of creativity coming out of there yeah 100% 100% like it was the one place where like that had sort of like a studio and um, kids could go and do like a range of creative activities dance music um, art uh, after school um, and it gave a place for like a lot of kids to, you know, to express their creativity. Like as limited as it was with with resources, like it was like a place that they could um could go. What was the first song you heard? So I went to Street Uni and they were all in the studio and Lex played me um Ready for War, it was. And they showed me these clips which already had like a hundred thousand views. Like a hundred thousand. I was like, yo, like I know artists who are like pretty well known in the city getting played on FBI and Triple J. And I was like, there's no way their YouTube no videos way. are getting 100K views. 100K and they're just coming out of a, of a youth center. Yeah. <laughs> that's and they their had, base. Exactly, yeah. And they had no idea that that was phenomenal. They just thought, oh, okay, that's kind of like whatever. It's like, that's normal. And I was like, no, you're, you're onto something really um, special here. But I asked them, I was like, what do, what do your friends think of like what are people in the community like what are other Polynesians or what are people from Western Sydney and they're like oh we're laughing stocks no one will take us seriously because 
everyone else was trying to emulate like um, the American accent. Um, and I don't know, man, like the way you guys, the way you guys deliver it, it, it's convincing. Like there's so much emotion in what you're saying. Like I buy it. You know what I mean? Like it, it sounds like, see, thing, the thing about hip hop too is like people forget like hip hop, there's like, we call it swag now or whatever, but it's style. You have to, you can't just make something rhyme. You make it rhyme and you make it sound fresh. It's got to sound like, it's got to sound spectacular. And when I heard it, I was like, man, this is its own type of spectacular to me. Like it's, it's really like refreshing to hear the way that they use our slang, the rhythms that they use, like what they were saying. Like after that, it still took a year. So like after I met them, I went to Howe. And I was like, how? Like, this is how of the Triple J hip hop show. Yeah. Uh -huh. like legendary how. Like, it's like, yo, how? Like, you, you gotta, you, you gotta look at these guys, you know, like they're Pacific Islander kids and they could really use a mentor like you. Like, I don't know if many people know, how was the first person to win an urban aria? Like, and he's, he's Tongan. So, like, that's, that's a big achievement, you know? And um, I was like, if anyone, if they're gonna be able to learn off anyone and sort of relate, it's going to be you. And he was like, nah, but I'm not from Western Sydney, bro. Like, you know, like I grew up in Canberra. It's totally different. I was like, still, but you get it. Like you're an Islander, you know, they're going to, you, you'll know how to connect with them. Anyway, like they released a song again at like towards the end of 2018. Um, what you know, and how saw that one. And he was like, all right, cool. I'm going to invite him into the studio. Like I, I can see it. I can see that, you know, they got something. And so, he reached out to them. Um, I think maybe he went and, went and saw them out west first and then invited them to Sony. And I remember him saying like, they had, it was the first time that they stepped into a proper studio and you could see, even just coming to the city was kind of like strange to them. And so like, they had no idea what to expect. Like you could tell like that was like totally out of their zone, like out of, like out of their element. Um, and how had like some beats and stuff that they could just try and you you could kind of tell like what do we do like we have to be get it perfect or like you know like it was like this are you going to judge me or how does it work and i think it wasn't maybe until the third or fourth session which you, you saw them kind of start to relax and like we were started starting to get to know each other and i think what worked really well I didn't. I, I didn't really do much in those sessions. I, I, I was just sort of watching and trying to find a pattern in the narrative, and just to decipher who was who, who was the leader, who was the guy who had the creative vision, who was the the youngster who was like the dark horse, who was the one who was out of control, just wilding out, um, and trying to trying to pick those um, those like character like those archetypes. You know what I mean and. But I think the one thing that we did really well, we brought Solo in, and Solo, like I am Solo, he's he's Tanzanian Tongan, so we had myself, Solo, How, and we just created a safe space for them to experiment. It was like this is not a competition, this is the laboratory, and laboratory you have to make mistakes. Experiment, experiment fails, or it succeeds, it doesn't matter. That's part of the process, and I think they started to get comfortable with the idea that creativity comes from trying and um, 
fa failing. Like it was okay to, to suck. Try it. Who knows? Maybe we'll get something really cool out of it. And a couple of times where we tried something and just by mistake, it was like, I don't know what it was. Like someone tried something and solo captured it, cut it up. And it was, it ended up being like a major part of the song. And like, I think working with them, I, I started to really, really understand what nurturing and development required. Like, you build trust with your artist because you give them the space to learn on their own, to do their own thinking. Um, you try as much as possible not to rush them through the process, but push them past their comfort zone. And over a bit of time, you that trust starts to develop. When did it kick? What happened for it to, to start popping like it did? It almost came from nowhere. It felt like, were you shocked by how quick and how hard it blew up? I think we released Shanks and Shivs in January. That was the first one. Second one was The Message. And I think by The Message, we were starting to get like re like more and more reaction videos. This timeline is only 2019, 19, right? yeah. This is one year. Yeah, yeah, one year ago. Um, Shanks and Shivs, they did this... They got invited to do this show with Chillinet um, and a bunch of like you know, other rappers at, at Factory Theatre. And it was their first performance ever. And people wilded out. It was just the energy on stage was insane. But people just didn't, didn't know what to make of it. But it was nuts and it was exciting. And you had about 30 or 40 of them on stage going wild. And people were like, holy crap, what is this? This is just crazy. And kids were like losing it. And so that they released the message. And I think that got to a million in two weeks and that was a sort of when i understood our oh, reaction videos are a thing like they're really a thing like and the uk started to pick up on it and then when when the kids in australia um saw that the uk was starting to be curious about it they were like oh man like yeah one one four like mount druitt like for western sydney like they, they know our name now and then spot the difference blue and and that video clip really gave people an idea of how crazy it can get like the mayhem in that video and like the energy and but not just that like the bars and like the the authenticity and how convincing these guys were it was like raw you know what i mean it was unfiltered there was no there was no bullshitting there was like it was it is what it is it was the truth you know what i mean how far into the process did the cops come in I think it was after Spot the Difference that they really started to like make their presence known. Like they didn't like a lot of the stuff that was being said. How did they do that? Um, I think the first real one, I mean like the cops have, um, and, and the boys in 1-4 have always had a, like a, a difficult relationship. Um, you know, there, there was already a history um, between them in the West. Um, but I think with the group they um the first incident was they shut down the sydney support leg of the dave tour um and they only got one for only got to do the melbourne show um but that was the first one they 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 shut that one down in sydney and said it was like you know too too high of a risk there was a report that you know there was going to be gang gang violence at the show and yada 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 
So that one got shut down. The second one was um, the Octavian one. They said, no, you can't perform at the Octavian the Octavian um, show either. But then behind the scenes, a lot of stuff that people don't know was that they were getting pulled over um, in the street. Um, their parents were getting pulled over. The cops were turning up at their houses and, and um, like entering their house looking for like weapons and stuff like that and it, just constant harassment. Is that just kind of part of the package or do you think that they were being specifically targeted because of the, their new profile as musicians? I, I, de- I definitely think it was... Um, it has been going on, but it, it ramped up to a new level once the music gave them that, that notoriety. Like they, I think they could see like, oh, like that lots of kids are getting behind this. It's like, we don't know how to control this. Um, we don't know what it is. We know we don't like it because it looks aggressive. It looks intimidating. It sounds like, you know, possibly that it could cause trouble. Let's just shut it down. Like there was no, I don't think there was any proper dialogue with how at that time. I wasn't the manager at that time. I was still working the behind the scenes with how and, and he was dealing with most of it. Um, but I think it was by the time we started our, the two bands. And then when we did that Brisbane headline in September, that's when it really reached a new level. I mean, yeah, the, the climax was obviously, uh, when pretty much the entire tour was shut down at the end of last year, that was the subject of an ABC investigation mm-hmm. by Osman Faruqi, previous out of the box guest as yep. well. Shout out. Shout out Oz. Uh, had you made an effort to engage with the cops in the lead up? Um, so on the console, like I, I went and you know consulted a bunch of different lawyers, um, and then we, um, on their advice, we submitted a letter to the New South Wales Police Commissioner, um, asking for to to meet and to open some dialogue about what was happening. Um, that letter received no response from the commissioner um and then yeah pretty much raptor just did their thing like they they went in and harassed as as much as they could and like you know that one line that came from sergeant truman in that in that interview was like i'm just going to make their life as difficult as possible and that's pretty much what they did so there's been no effort to actually engage with you no reciprocation from your attempts to reach out um We've had run-ins. We've had run-ins, but there was no invitation directly to me to meet. Like, they had my number. I gave them, several of them, my number. I said, look, if you want to talk, like, let's organize a meeting to talk. But it was more the the harassment. So, like, when we did, when we actually did the one show that was allowed, um, which was New Zealand, when we came back from New Zealand, um, we were stopped at the airport by like 10 border patrol officers plus two members of um, Raptor. And I approached them just wanting to have a conversation. Um, am I, I'm, I'm, 40, I'm 40 years old, like uh, I'm a, I'm a grown ass man, but the way I was spoken to was like I was a child, like, like just the level of um, you're not, you're not smart enough to talk to us or you're not you, where you're where, we're here as an authority figure and you just need to listen. You don't ha- really have a say. It was like, it was, it was very clear. It was going to be very difficult to have a conversation. And it's like, I spoke and the minute I said something, he had to interrupt and speak over the top of me. And I was just like, 
there's no there's no talking to you like we're not here to talk i'm here to, to just obey and it just, it just felt like that was the um position that they preferred us to be in ricky late last year uh yp uh, a member of one four was jailed for a violent incident at a venue in Ruti hill uh, it was reported that an older guy was spraying racial slurs and mm-hmm. in retaliation yp hit that guy in the head twi- well, twice in the back of the head in the context of this interview this question might sound l- loaded but i mean it in a completely innocent and genuine way, mm. what makes that sort of violence okay? No, that that violence is not okay by any means. Like, if you ask any of the guys now what they thought of that incident, um, you you would see a lot of regret, remorse, and they're appalled at themselves when they look back at it. Right? That incident happened in July 2018, um, before any of the music stuff uh, happened. Um, JM was actually, he was he was incarcerated at that time. YP's his younger brother. And so like, um, I feel like for JM, he feels like him being inside may have led to his brother um, going astray and wilding out. That incident, whether or not there was a, racial slur or whatever it was that was unacceptable totally unacceptable um and there's no excuses for it you know and the and and the boys um find themselves accountable and they hold themselves accountable to that to that situation it was like take it on the chin like you made a mistake um while there's no excuse for it it says a lot about about the ability for young men with frustration who don't know how to communicate and resort to acts of violence to show for whatever reason that they can't be messed with that they're they don't deserve to be spoken to that way that they're frustrated that they're angry that's a problem when young men don't know how to express their anger or their frustration other than violence and that needs to be addressed and that's a problem with, with young people at West. It's a cultural problem. It exists within the Polynesian community. You ask any any honest Polynesian what they think, it's like, yeah. Those, it exists in so many different um, elements of our society. You go to a football match and you see it. You see it all the time. There's a very polarizing kind of strong movement from right-wing media mm-hmm. that see uh, one for as as illegitimate because of their crime mm. and shouldn't be given a platform mm. at, at all mm. that's an incredibly unnuanced view mm. and not one that we necessarily have to deal with because mm. it clearly doesn't see the complexity of the situation mm. but there are also voices that have less of a platform people from the area um maybe moms, dads, community leaders that are also concerned about what it means to be giving a group with that history a platform. How do you reconcile that? I think it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting conversation. Like, um, 
I'm I'm by no means an expert at 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 this particular problem, right? But I I will say this much: like like violence between youth in Western Sydney is not new. It's not. It doesn't come from this music, right? It's been around for a long time. There has been this this rivalry between what they call inner West Sydney, which is, I guess, central Western Sydney um, and greater West. And that comes for me, it comes from kids who have an issue with identity. It's like, I need to feel important. I need to feel like I'm part of something bigger than myself. And I'm, I'm looking for something to give me purpose. And when you're very young and when there's, when there's like bad influences around you, when there's people who have been institutionalized and when there's all a bunch of temptations out there, it's very easy to to influence a kid and say, oh, hey, like we don't like those people over there. You know what I mean? Um, and that becomes groupthink. Um, so when, when people say, oh, the music of 1-4 glorifies violence um, and, and it, and it, encourages kids to pick up weapons and and to hurt each other like I, i'll i'll argue that point you know I'll, I'll argue that point do i agree with the lyrics do i agree with all the things that have been um expressed would i go out and do it no hell no but i sort of reserve the right for you to express maybe what you've seen and been through um and it's interesting because if this has been a problem that's been around for more than a decade it's interesting that we're now having this conversation because of One Falls Music. It's great that we're having this conversation because now we can talk about what the real problem is. What's the problem? Why does a kid feel like he has to pick up a knife to prove a point? Why do, why do these talented kids feel like um, they have to go to desperate measures to, to feel valuable or to, to be important or to have a reputation? Like, what is it? that leads it is it is there is there a better way that we can do it without um policing them before we police them and make them feel like they're just troublemakers how about we look at the potential well you've now got um members of the group in jail you've got travel restrictions mm -hmm. a very heavy police presence mm but an unbelievable amount of promise and a huge audience. How do you, how do you move from there? What's your strategy for one for? Man, every time I try to make a plan, it, it changes. Like it's, it's, you can have plans, but I think you have to be able to adapt. And what I see are five young men growing and learning whether it's from their mistakes or from their achievements. And um, when all this happened, I saw a change in all of them, like in, 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 each, in each one of them, you know, like and I've, since the boys have gone in, I've gone to see Sally over in, in jail and I've seen Lex and YP as well. And I've spent a lot of time with, with JM and Spenny in the studio. And for JM, for JM and Spenny, it's like a time of mourning. Like they lost, three in one go, you know, three of their brothers. Like those, those kids were very close to each other. Um, and so now I'm like, all right, write about it. 
like this is your outlet music is now your outlet like you deserve to be here the numbers tell you like you've achieved something that not many people can have achieved in Australian music you know what I mean and now's the time like you either believe in your talent you you see your potential and you you let that guide you rather than your mistakes you're not you're not your mistakes you're not you're not your mistakes you know what i mean like you're allowed to have another chance um and you can redeem yourself and i think if we're going to look at these kids and constantly berate them for mistakes i was like man take a look at yourself first you know what i mean take a look at yourself think about all the things that you might hold in the closet things that you may have not done these kids are, are brave enough to put it out there and say yo like this is what i went through and this is what i'm i'm learning from and as they grow as artists like perhaps their music might reflect that you know what i mean but before we're so quick to judge and say oh man they're just a bunch of troublemakers they look intimidating like man you don't you don't know that like you don't know and like that's the beauty of art like you know welcome to prison uh, the last track speaks to that mm. how do you want to introduce this one as we play out this episode of out of the box like i'll go as as far to say that this is one of the most important songs in australian hip-hop um it's a song between two brothers, one who is about to face a prison sentence, YP, and his older brother, JM, who's like, I've, I've been through it. Here's what to expect. And the backstory to this is JM, we knew that YP was looking at some time. And JM spent a lot of time preparing him for what was going to happen inside, what could possibly happen. And if you haven't ever been to a jail, if you've never, if you don't know anyone who's been to jail, like it's a very eye-opening experience. Um, there's a different set of rules that work in there. You know what I mean? And um, for JM to come out in 2018, only to see his best friend go in, Sally, and know his brother was going in, and another friend to have done his time to come out to have the music thing and, and, and have a bit of hope but then be constantly reminded of his past he's asking the question what, what's prison? prison can be a state of mind prison can, feel, can be on the outside too if you're, to if you're spoken to and if you're treated that way then I'm in prison he's like, I'm in prison too I'm in prison until my brother, my brothers get out. Every day feels like prison to me. I might as well be in there as well. And that's why the song is Welcome to Prison. It's a song of, hey, I'm warning you, this is what you expect. But regardless of good or bad, we're here. We're here for you. And we're thinking about you the whole time. And it's for everyone who knows someone who is in prison. It's for the boys who are in there currently, who are doing their time, who are looking to change their lives after they get out um, and that's pretty much the song Ricky Simunjuntak Uncle Rick bless you and thank you so much for being my guest on Out of the Box today oh man it was a pleasure thank you for having me on Aye. 
Mama always said, pray for the best, expect the worst. Don't make promises if you go back in your word. If you're doing it wrong, you gotta be willing to work. Hit a search and grab the dosh, gotta get to it first. See, I grew up in church, but I had devils in my ears saying, fuck it, controlling my young mind like a puppet. Had me skipping school, dishing saddies in the alley as a youngin'. Never a boss, bro, I was running. Ayy, started running bad just to get paid. Now, bro's got beef, I gotta run with a blade. See, my blood get got, and that's when my heart changed. Took a couple L's, but that's part of the game. Live and learn, take it how it comes And if it kicks off, brother, don't run I was taught from young That I'll get caught up in the system Didn't listen and that's how I got done See, I'm just trying to make a living, lad And just do me, nah, I ain't stopping Till they set me free, uh We stand firm to the word, FTP Praying for somebody to rescue me Ay, train hard, my brother, and stay staunch Listen, don't be another victim lost to the system And you'll be eat swell when they come to meet ya And say my also welcome to prison, Ay. Bring my brothers in the yard in that Can't wait till they all come back Till they all come back One four part of the gang Two seven where my heart is at Where my heart is at We chopped up too easy Got locked up too easy And now I'm on TV I bet it burns them to see me walk They'd rather see me between the Yeah, we always say expect the worst Hope for the best Keep them close if you know they're down for a stretch They call us ball runners with the utmost respect Well known in the system There's not much of us left You also got the common snitch Biggest bitch, a dog that couldn't take the pressure for what he did The lowest of the lowest that you can get as a cream Have him leveled with the rest of him down in protection Separated from the rest of us Cause our instincts always got the best of us Paranoid thinking now there's no one left to trust Don't get me wrong, the boys in here still don't give a fuck But why's he acting sus? Heard the fellas over there trying to take me for in a spite Eats what? I'm just gonna chill and wait Fuck waiting another day Pull up to his cell, give him hell I want all you got, put inside this pillowcase And don't forget your dinner tray Ay. See, I'm just trying to make a living out and just do me. See, I ain't stopping till they set me free. We stand firm to the word FTP, praying for somebody to rescue me. Uh, train hard, my brother, and stay staunch. Listen, don't be another victim lost to the system. Then you'll be eats while when they come to meet you. Same old, so welcome to prison, aye. podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.